Thanks for listening today to In 16 Years. I'm Amy, and this is a podcast where I talk about what I've learned in 16 years of living with stage 4 endo, severe IBS, fibromyalgia, and interstitial cystitis. My name is Brittany, and I live with celiac disease, anxiety, and my own hormonal fun. We hope this show will inspire you, empower you, and help you feel supported on your own health journey. Brittany and I are not doctors, dietitians, mental health professionals, experts on endometriosis, or any kind of qualified medical professional. So that means that none of the information we share on this podcast is medical or mental health advice. If you get inspired by something we say, always consult your qualified medical professional first before making any changes. Today, we are going to once more crack open the dusty, extensive collection of endo files in which we talk about different aspects of endometriosis so that we can understand it, we can know the disease that we're living with, we can perhaps be more knowledgeable than many of the doctors that have crossed our paths, but hopefully not the doctor that, that we have now. And we can solve some endo mysteries, understanding endometriosis. Everyone's goal, really. (laughs) Okay, Amy, so which endophile case are we cracking open today? Which mystery are we delving into? We're delving into volume three, (gasps) book 12 in the series, page 51, case number Triple W Q Q square triangle vagina. Oh, this feels cryptic. I'm into it. <laughs> Piece of hair, ovary, menstrual blood. What a case number. I'm not done yet. <laughs> oh, wow. 557, five, uterus, 33, three, not retrograde menstruation, vagina, vagina. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So, this is a very um, complex case number. We're just going to go with case three for the sake of abbreviation. <laughs> I don't know who named the case numbers of. I'm gonna the guess it was files. you. Okay, <laughs> knowing knowing you, I'm gonna guess it was you. So when you go into the case numbers, are they like alphabetical? Are they alphabetical by? They're by anatomy. They're, no, they are organized by the amount of vagina symbols in each case number. <laughs> that's how they're organized. One vagina to seventy three vaginas. Yeah, that's how they through all the volumes of books. Within this case. We will be investigating endometriosis. Wow, never expected that. What about endometriosis, Amy? What colors is it, Brittany? Oh. Is it microscopic? (gasps) The mystery. Is it invisible? The intrigue. To the naked eye. (gasps) Can you pull it out of a hat? Uh, What? Can you put it in a box and saw it in half? Uh, uh, Can you lock it in a cage, put it in a swimming pool full of menstrual blood? And it will hold its breath long enough to escape. This took a weird turn. But we shall find out the answers. (laughs) I'm sorry. Is are we talking about like a Houdini style endometriosis? Like I didn't realize I came for a magic show. David Endofield. (laughs) Houdiniosis. This is beautiful. Well done. (laughs) No, no, we won't find that out. I just said that because one of the points that we want to explore today is is endometriosis invisible? mystery invisible to the naked eye does it wear a cape is it a superhero uh, again weird turn but i'm here <laughs> I, for it <laughs> it's just what the idea of endometriosis being invisible it just sparks my imagination Brittany. work with it well we're gonna solve that case in this endophile Do-do-do. 
And the very first page of the case file is related to the colors of endometriosis. What colors can it be? First, let's go ahead and paint a picture of a young person. You get it, Brittany? Paint a picture. (laughs) Clever. Thank you. Let's paint a picture of a young person. And they're going to their gynecologist and explaining to their doctor that they have this terrible, terrible pelvic pain, digestive upset, menstrual pain that makes them vomit and makes them feel like they've been run over and crushed by the wheel of a truck on their back. Now, let's say that the patient explains all this to the doctor. And this doctor, who is listening to their patient, (gasps) listening? They're actually taking the time to listen? Listening to their patient, and the doctor takes the patient's complaints seriously. Wait, what? Uh, It's a miracle. I thought we were just going to get good at listening. Never mind believing. (laughs) Wow, double gasp. All right, you're right. That That was too much like a... That doesn't seem likely. (laughs) That was too much like a fantasy. Fantastical. (laughs) Let's paint a more realistic picture. This is actually the fifth doctor that this patient has seen in the last year and a half. Okay. Now it sounds real. Yeah. Sounds a little more on par with reality, right? Devastatingly accurate. Yeah. (laughs) So let's say that this is me or you listening. You're the patient and you're informing the doctor about your dozens and dozens of endometriosis symptoms, but you're not yet diagnosed with endometriosis and you just started having all these weird things happening in your body you don't understand. So you go to the doctor and you start telling him all these really weird things are happening like this pain and this diarrhea and this digestive upset and this nausea and this other pain here. And the doctor's listening. (gasps) A miracle. (laughs) I thought we got over this. No, I don't think we we ever could, honestly. Okay, so we established (gasps) the doctor. He's listening. listening. (gasps) The doctor's listening. (gasps) A miracle. Okay. (laughs) And so the doctor says, hmm, well, I think that you might have endometriosis. Let's do a laparoscopy and find out. I'm sorry, is this a dream? Because this feels unlikely unless I'm going to an endospecialist already. (laughs) I feel very lucky in this moment. It's very lucky. This is your regular old gynecologist, the fourth one that you saw, mind you. But this one. Thank you, fourth regular old gynecologist. (laughs) But this one is listening, and this one says, hey, I think I recognize those symptoms of endometriosis, and let's take a look. It's a miracle. Let's open you up. As a patient, I am just very excited in this moment. Tell me more. What's going to happen to me? Well, you lay down on the operating table, and you have your anesthesia, and you go sleepy, sleepy for just a little while. (laughs) Oh, sorry. I'm back. Back. I'm here. Okay. And they look inside you with a camera. My regular old schmegular old gynecologist, right? Exactly. Okay. Okay. And then they look inside and the surgery ends and you wake up and you're in the post-operating area. And they come over and they address you and your family that you're sitting with. And you say, oh, my goodness, well, tell me what's in there. I need to know. Validate me. And they say, "Mm, well, great news. You have beautiful ovaries. You are clean as a whistle inside of there. Your insides look They get a little kiss in the air like an Italian person holding a piece of bread. 
that's not what I was hoping for. Yeah, and they they were so impressed by the way that your shiny, beautiful, you have the gorgeous, most beautiful uterus I've ever seen in my life. And they tell you, you know, we couldn't believe how fantastic it looked in there. We actually stopped in the middle of surgery when we saw your ovaries and your uterus, and I, the surgeon, and the nurse, and the anesthesiologist, and even the cleaning person that was in the hallway, we said, "Hey, hurry up." Scrub for four minutes and then put a mask on and then come in here. Look at this B E A beautiful <laughs> uterus and ovaries. We Aren't all they stood shiny up and pink. We all stood up. We clapped. Oh, standing ovation for this <laughs> ovulation station. Yes. Well, I'm telling you, there was no endo inside of you whatsoever. Zero zilch, not a centimeter. But I have symptoms. Not of endo. a bit. But None. I have symptoms of endo. I know, but you don't have endo because I looked but I have and there was nothing. Of endo. It looks so good. Oh. We're still clapping. Oh, no. Hold on. Let me give a little clap. Everyone oh, come together. No. Slow oh, clap. No. Clap. Clap. Oh, no. This turned from a dream clap. into a waking nightmare. <laughs> Here we are in Terror Station. Okay. Boop, boop. Here we are. Waking nightmare. We're here. We're all here. We've all been here. So it might be in your head after all because no siree, there was no endo in the pelvic cavity. Nope. My favorite things. It's all in your head. I'd love to be told that. And the story ends and the curtain falls and the patient cries and cries. Act one was miserable. Oh, God. I want to get to the next act. So here's what we want you to know. That maybe, just maybe, maybe. You do actually have endometriosis, but the surgeon, that regular schmegular old gynecologist, does not know how to recognize endometriosis. The audacity. <laughs> so I think many of us listening can probably relate to this story. Having had perhaps an exploratory laparoscopy that came back, quote unquote, negative. Oh, it was so negative, quote unquote for endometriosis, and maybe the surgeon even went so far to tell us how beautiful and wonderful and shiny our insides were. Why do I say that? Because I had an exploratory laparoscopy at 19 years old by a regular old gynecologist, not an endometriosis specialist, and she looked for endometriosis, and she, quote-unquote, did not find it. And then she did, in fact, tell me with my mother in the post-op area when we came out of surgery, that I had the most beautiful and shiny ovaries she'd ever seen. Well, joke's on her because you only have one now. The other one had an endometrioma the size of a grapefruit on it. Wrongo! <laughs> Let's break down that story for just a minute. First, we want to point out that this surgeon, when she came out, was really insistent that I had such a beautiful and fabulous and wonderful and shiny and gorgeous ovaries, and uterus. Uncalled for and uncomfortable, but thank you. <laughs> oh, my God. I feel like she wanted to hack them out and, like, hang them on their wall. I want them as a trophy. <laughs> oh, they're like, so beautiful. <laughs> I want to put my wine in this uterus and drink from it yeah, nightly. It's like, creepy. Like, <laughs> okay, okay, lady, thank we, you for we that. We get it. You liked my uterus. <laughs> Unless thing. I'm going to win an award with a check cash prize, I don't care how it looks. <laughs> It's hurting me really badly every time I have my period and <laughs> sex and sometimes Don't care just how pretty it is randomly. <laughs> but first I want to say that just as a side note, there are many, many gynecologists who are not fully informed of all the different places that endometriosis can be. And so 
oftentimes when they go in to do the exploratory laparoscopy, they just take a look at the ovaries and the uterus, and they're not exploring further in looking at the bowel or the bladder or other places that endo could be within the abdominal cavity. So we just want to make clear that just because your ovaries and your uterus are so shiny and beautiful doesn't mean that you don't have endometriosis in other parts of the abdomen. But in this case, I think from the language the doctor used to me, I honestly think she did not know to look at other parts of... Because she didn't say your uterus and your ovaries and your bowel exactly. and your bladder. She was just and so your... focused on the ovaries and the uterus. Oh, they're so shiny and beautiful. Oh. Where's my prize? They we should let it. me Where's keep... When they removed my left ovary and the grapefruit size endometrioma, they should have let me keep that thing. Yeah, apparently it was award-winning. I should have mailed it You should have entered it in contests. I'd be like, okay, well, it's kind of mutated and morphed into this monstrous <laughs> monstrosity since you operated on me 11 years prior and told me how wonderful it is. What do you think of it do now? Do you like it now? <laughs> it's like Frankenstein's monster, but Amy Steen's monster. <laughs> ovary Steen. <laughs> Franken ovary. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's very accurate. You did have a Franken ovary. It's alive and growing endometriosis. <laughs> Sounds creepy. Just as it is. So, Brittany, do you know the most important aspect of recognizing endometriosis in the body? Mm, I feel like this is going to relate back to the colors we talked about earlier. So I'm going to guess it has to do with the colors of endometriosis. Did I win? Did I get the prize? That is right, Brittany. <laughs> Victory. It is vital that surgeons can recognize all the different colors of endometriosis. Apart from what we just said, which is being able to recognize it in different parts of the abdomen, like the bladder or the bowel or the uterosacral ligaments or the pouch of Douglas or the different areas that endometriosis can be invading, growing, mutating. <laughs> <laughs> Becoming invisible. No, no, just kidding. We'll get to that. We'll get to that later. We'll get to that later. No. It's not true. We'll get to that later. That was a joke. Houdini. Houdosis. Houdiniosis. <laughs> so sometimes when we think of endometriosis, we think of the adhesions that could be in the abdomen. Like when we see the pictures online of different stages and they show like stage three and stage four and they look all grown over. And they look like, kind of looks like a weeping willow tree, right? They're just like. It's weeping, all right. <laughs> it's all like. Facing downwards and like droopy and sad. Yes, yes, that's it, Brittany. It's all like droopy and like wilting, and there's all these adhesions, and maybe they're, you know, gluing the ovary to the pelvic sidewall, or they're gluing the bowel to the uterus, or they're gluing the ovaries together and they're making them form in a shape, and it's called kissing ovaries when they're touching. Oh, how romantic. <laughs> it's so romantic when your ovaries are touching, and every time you move, it causes excruciating pain. Yeah, lovely. <laughs> My sarcasm, is it thick enough? <laughs> so the thing is that usually that kind of anatomical distortion, that is basically what it also can my perception of do in your perception of what a tolerable pain level is. Accurate. She's right. <laughs> yeah. So the anatomy oftentimes doesn't distort unless you have stage three or stage four. So if the doctor goes in and you just have a maybe a stage one or stage two or just like a more subtle endometriosis that doesn't have a adhesions and pulling on the ovaries and pulling on the bowels and pulling on the bladder. And then really 
what it can come down to is the surgeon recognizing the appearance of endometriosis. Sneaky, sneaky. It's in there. It's wearing a costume. (laughs) I think if endometriosis were to wear a costume, it would be a vampire costume because it loves sinking its fangs into every chance it gets. Jerk. Or maybe it would dress like a ghost because when it makes its appearance, you scream. (laughs) This sounds accurate. All right. (laughs) So, Brittany, what happens if the surgeon goes in, like perhaps the surgeon that I had when I was 19 years old, who told me how shiny and beautiful and wonderful everything that in my abdominal cavity was so great and endometriosis-free? Not. Thank you. So what happens when the surgeon cannot see your endometriosis? They think you don't have it. And what does that lead to? Years and 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 years of misdiagnosis, delayed diagnosis. Oh, wait. And don't forget the lack of treatment for a very serious disease and and potentially the progression of it. Oh, yeah. Don't forget any of that. Or Hmm. the years of inflammation and fatigue and perhaps the increased adhesions or organs sticking together from them. Did I win? Accurate. Accurate, sadly, very accurate. Sadly accurate. I don't want to be right, but I knew I was. Okay, I would love to poll 1,000 doctors, or if we had a bigger budget, 10,000 doctors. Wait, we have a budget? No. To poll 1,000 doctors? No, if, but <laughs> if we did, it'd be so cool. I would love to poll 1,000 doctors, and I would ask them, what colors can endometriosis be? So let's pretend we did have the budget to pull a thousand doctors or ten thousand doctors. Amy and I would love to be on some research teams. <laughs> or a million doctors. Oh wow. Let's shoot high, Brittany. Yeah, shoot. I mean, wow, okay. Big goals. So say we did. We're gonna kind of conjecture what we think that they would say. So if we asked them, what are the colors of endometriosis? We bet that the majority of doctors would say black. Because There's a misconception that endometriosis lesions only look like black powder burns. First of all, that sounds awful. (laughs) (laughs) Black powder burns. Sounds dreadful. Nobody (laughs) wants that inside of them. (laughs) But second of all, black isn't even the most common color of endometriosis. (gasps) So come on now. But the majority said in our survey hypothetical, hypothetical poll. That black was the most common color. So why do they think that? Well, a lot of the older studies on endometriosis was done when the patient was in their mid to late 30s. Oh, my God. Like my age now. Like you now. It was on your group. Okay. So they studied me. Yes, they they did. What did they find out? Interestingly enough, that age range of mid to late 30s is the age where it's more common to have black endolesions versus a younger age. I think in my case that is definitely true because when I had my surgery and got my post-op photos, it was covered, literally covered in black powder. There was just black. Can confirm. It powder was burns. Overwhelming. Everywhere. It looked like mold was growing in there. I was like, I mean, oh kind of, God. Kind of it was. And <laughs> I, of course, know that it did not look like that when my uninformed... Misinformed, unknowledgeable surgeon at 19 years old took a look inside because you told me how perfect it was in there and shiny and beautiful. So I'm pretty sure it wasn't covered in black mold. Not then it wasn't, but it was when they did it at 33 years old. Well, you know why? It's because. Ooh, solve the mystery. Endo actually can change colors over time. 
like a chameleon. Ooh. I know. So does that mean my endo can be a rainbow? Um, a rainbow depending of a very on, specific amount of colors. Depending on the background. I'm not like a full spectrum rainbow, but there's like a couple. If I run up and I place my body against a tree, will it turn to look okay, like bark? you're not a chameleon. <laughs> Just the endometriosis. Sorry, we, right. we miscommunicated that. <laughs> okay, the endometriosis is a chameleon, so should you cut me open and stick a piece of bark <laughs> in my abdomen when my endometriosis then turn brown? No. Like a piece of bark. <laughs> no. The endometriosis can change colors between a, a few colors like a chameleon. Not endometriosis is a chameleon. That's disappointing. I know. I'm very sorry. But why are we going to cut you in half anyway? Why, why did this go there? Oh, my goodness. I'm Houdini. I would be fine if you put me in a box and you cut me in half. I, I would, don't think I if we opened fine. the box and put a piece of bark inside you and then put the box back together, you'd be A-OK. I don't think that's how that works. Okay, but anyway, to circle back, that's probably why most doctors would say black first when asked what colors endometriosis is. It's because the majority of the studies were done on people who were in the age range where black powder-burned colored endometriosis is more common. Uh, So like so many other things with endometriosis, what you're saying is that most likely the clinicians were taught incorrectly that black was the only presentation of endometriosis. Yeah, all because of a very narrow age range in all these multiple studies. All right, now we want to know all the colors of our chameleon, the endometriosis chameleon. Enlighten me on the colors, Brittany. There's so many. It's an endometriosis rainbow. One of the colors that endometriosis can be is clear. Clear? Yes, clear. That's not a color, Brittany. (laughs) One of my favorite ways that I've heard the clear color described is by Dr. Redwine, who says that clear endometriosis is, quote, like dewdrops on a plant, end quote. Wow. This reference to nature has left me speechless. What a way to describe such a horrid disease (laughs) by using such eloquent poetry. Thank you, Dr. Redwine. It It has become clear to me. Oh. You get it? She did a pun. The color clear has become clear in my mind. Brittany, why is it clear? Well, the interesting thing about the clear-colored endometriosis is that it can be clear because it lacks blood, and it's often found in younger people. You know what else is clear? What, Amy? Your cornea over your eye. Yeah, that's a good comparison. It's like a dewdrop on a plant. Oh, I don't want my eye to be a dewdrop dewdrop on on my retina. (laughs) There we go. Good analogy. All right, Amy, tell me another color. I will tell you two colors. (gasps) Two for white or yellow. I was not expecting those two colors. When endometriosis is white or yellow, it's usually because there is scar tissue covering an endometriosis lesion. The next one, which we've already sneak peeked is the black-colored endometriosis, the powder burn. So why is it black? Because it's angry. No, that's not the reason. Okay. (laughs) If the capillaries near the lesions bleed, the blood can get trapped under the scar tissue, and it can turn black. Ew. I know. Ooh, and ew. Ew. Okay, Amy, do you have a better color next? Red. So I'm assuming that the red 
is similar to the black in the fact that the capillaries near the endometriosis lesions can destabilize and bleed, and then that can make the endometriosis look red. The next color is personally one of my favorite colors, gray. Is that really a color? I don't know, but I love it. Gray endometriosis <gasps> is gloomy and sad. Oh, it's, it's a rainy day inside the abdomen. The chameleon is feeling down. It's feeling like life is a little hard today. I'm just a little sad. Just a little gray inside. Yes, that is probably how the endometriosis lesion is feeling. A little gray inside. For example, sometimes if we zoom in on the intestine and find a gray endometriosis lesion, it will be colorless or gray, just like the clear due to lack of bleeding. But it's not clear. It's gray. It's gray. It's like clear's more moody cousin. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's clear's more sad cousin, Brittany. He's sad. And similar to being sad, the chameleon can also be blue. Oh, what a little blue The color blue and the mood blue. Sad and blue. So if we can have blue, do we get more of the rainbow colors? Is there like a green, a purple, an aqua, oh, an orange, so cool, turquoise? No, Brittany. Oh. No, 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 and no. I'm sad now. I'm blue. No, just like endometriosis no. in the abdomen. All right, Brittany, so you said that endometriosis was like a chameleon and that it could perhaps change color over time, mm-hmm. but not the color of bark we already established. No, and, and you can't change the color of bark if you stand against a tree. So this chameleon side of me, why would it change colors? Like if I had clear endometriosis, why, why might that same endometriosis present as yellow or red or black? Because he gets bored with his outfit and wants to change sometimes. That's the answer. Mm. <laughs> okay, that's not really the answer. <laughs> Fast fashion is very bad for the environment and also for human life. So I do not approve of this outfit changing every... Well, he only has the same, like, couple outfits, though. Mm. He's got his clear outfit. Ooh, risque. Then he's got his white outfit. Then his yellow outfit, his red outfit, his black outfit. For special occasions, he's got a gray outfit. He's got a top hat. He's got a fancy cane. Oh, absolutely. There's a feather <laughs> on one of the outfits. Like, they're fancy, but he's only got those outfits. He's got a strapless bra. He's got... Oh, no, no, no. No bras allowed. No bras allowed. <laughs> no, no. No one's going to wear a bra in this no. fantasy. Please. Be ridiculous. Or underwear. <laughs> yeah. I mean, his clear outfit, we can all see what he's wearing, okay? <laughs> well, Brittany, your answer was... Interesting and amusing, but not exactly correct. So no. I'm just going to answer my own question. Okay, fine. Yeah, self-sufficient over here. So first, we want to point out that endometriosis does not always change colors over time. It can and it may, but it doesn't mean that it's going to. It's not like a surefire thing that it's going to change colors. There's not like a color sequence the endometriosis <laughs> goes through. It's through not its like, lifetime. oh, when you're 16, it's clear. And then when you're 20, it's yellow. And then when you're 25, it's red. And if that were true, that would probably make identifying endometriosis way easier than it is. Okay. <laughs> way to make everything hard, endo. A person of any age can have any color. And in a minute, we're going to look at a little chart with some color breakdowns. But studies have shown that the color may change in appearance from non-pigmented, so more like the clear, and then it can change to red 
and to black with age. So we want to read a quote from an article called Laparoscopic Appearance of Endometriosis, the second edition, by Dr. Dan Martin. And in this article, it talks about the observation and research done on the change in appearance of endometriosis. So, quote, Samson noted a change from a red raspberry appearance to a blueberry appearance as the lesions aged. That's not very good. (laughs) Silly. You're very corny. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Okay, to continue my quote. Carnegie stated that it required four to ten years for water blister lesions to progress to scarred blue-domed cysts. That one doesn't sound very good, and they have very poetic and colorful, very illustrative ways to describe this. Like, I can see them in my mind, even though I don't really want to. Stop interrupting me, Brittany. You never stop interrupting me. Continue quote. (sighs) Dr. Redwine quantitated these changes and demonstrated a change in the observed appearance from clear to red to scarred black lesions over 7 to 10 years. This change was also noted by Connix and company in documenting an increase from 23% to 63% in the occurrence of scarred black lesions over a 20-year age change. Connix's study also demonstrated a decreased occurrence of red and polypoid lesions and an increased occurrence of deep infiltration over the same time span. This age-related change in appearance may be due to a uniform progression in individual patients, the result of more than one type of progression of lesions, or the result of some other factor. However, as a general rule, the appearance is different at varying ages. Perhaps more important is that there was significant overlap, and age does not appear to be the only factor in appearance. End quote. Okay, so now we're going to switch gears to talk a little bit about numbers and prevalence of the colors in terms of statistics-wise. Ooh, statistics. First, we want to say that for younger people in their teens and early 20s, like me when I had my exploratory laparoscopy, that was everything was so beautiful and shiny. Clearly. (laughs) (laughs) Brittany, because colors like clear and red are a more common presentation of endometriosis than black lesions in younger people in their teens and 20s. So personally, I am going to give another one of my assumptions, and I'm going to go ahead and say that I think that my endometriosis was probably clear. Maybe it was on the intestine. It was gray there. It was clear on the peritoneum. She wouldn't know on the intestine because she didn't look. (laughs) True that. And so I think probably that's why everything looks so beautiful, because it was clear. That's why she said it was so shiny. It was glossy from the clear endometriosis covering everything. She's like, wow. We have debunked it. I haven't seen anyone look so shiny inside. I'm like, yeah, that's because it's all endometriosis. (laughs) That's clear. It's the dew drops reflecting the light of the surgical operating table. That's awful. I thought you said this was a laparoscopy. They just ripped you open. Is that what happened? (laughs) Keep changing your story, Amy. And here's another interesting thing is that most endolesions found in patients are not black. Ooh, the intrigue. 
Dr. David Redwine, who we talk about often in this podcast because we love to reference the very informative website based on his research, which is endopedia.info, which I highly recommend that you check out if you haven't already because it is a wealth of knowledge on endometriosis. So on one of their pages on color and the appearance of endometriosis, he describes a study on 137 patients. And this study shows the number of patients that had each of the different colors and the average ages that the patients were to have those colors. Can my endometriosis be multicolored? Yes, Brittany. Ah, beautiful. Luckily or perhaps unluckily, you can have multiple colors of endometriosis in your body. So you don't just have to have black or red or clear or blue or yellow or white. Don't forget gray. Oh, and gray. You could have some endometriosis that is gray and other endometriosis that is white and other endometriosis that is purple. No, just kidding. Ah. I mean pink. I mean no. I mean green. I mean orange. I, mean, I was getting excited. You lied <laughs> to me. Can you imagine they just like open you up and, and you, you look have... like somebody like vomited Skittles into your insides? <laughs> like that would be awesome. It looked like a, the insides were like a, it looked like a drawing from a Dr. Seuss book. <laughs> I mean, like maybe it can stay in that case. No, no, no please, please get rid of it. <laughs> It'd be a much prettier process though, I'm sure. Well, and it'd be probably a lot easier to recognize because they'd be like, ooh, this. I mean, that's why I think they could recognize the black so easily because they're like, hmm, when we look in the abdomen of this patient, there shouldn't be black spots on the tissue on the inside, right? And so if our endometriosis was purple or orange or, well, pink is more like flesh colored, so probably not pink. Fuchsia. Neon pink. Ooh. <laughs> so pink that you needed sunglasses. Magenta then probably they would be able to recognize the endometriosis much easier than they can now. Would it be a blessing if we had rainbow metriosis? So we're not going to go over the entire study. So if you want to look, I highly recommend you go to endopedia.info because it has a little chart with all the different colors. But we wanted to point out just some of the highlights. So people who had the color clear only, so their endometriosis was only clear. No other colors, just clear. And I would say clear, as we established, is probably a pretty hard color to recognize in the body if you haven't had the training and the expertise and you don't know to look for the color clear. Guess how many people of 137 had clear only? Uh, uh, I'm not a good guesser. I'm a terrible guesser. Six people. Okay, yeah, I was not thinking that. (laughs) And they were between the ages of 17 and 26. So you can see the age range on those patients is pretty young. Okay, guess how many people had red only? Mm, 16? Oh my God, Brittany, I thought you said you were a bad estimator. Yes, six, ah! 16 people. Grand prize winner! Had red endometriosis only. So the age range of the people in the study who had read only was 16 to 38. That's really interesting because in this study, the maximum age for only clear endometriosis of these patients studied was 26 years. But for only red, it's already jumped up to 38 years. 
how many people do you think had all non-black endometriosis? So this could be any color and it, multiple colors, blue or yellow or white or just blue or just white, or, but just no black, no black powder burns, none, zero, none. I'm going to guess 55. Are you kidding? I thought you were really bad at guessing. Yes. <laughs> it is I am really bad at guessing. 55 people of the 137 had no black endometriosis. Wow. And that was actually the highest number of people in the study. So more people had no black endometriosis than people who had black all right, lucky Brittany, who's getting them all correct. Take a gander at how many people had black endometriosis only. Hmm. I'm going to say, since you said on non-black was the highest number, I'm going to go with 48. Oh, wow. All right, Brittany... <laughs> The answer is 48. I think after this, we need to go down to the corner store. We need to buy at least 20 lottery tickets. You can pick the numbers for all of them. Ooh, fun. I've never played the lottery. Well, we're going to win tonight <laughs> with the lucky streak that you're on. Okay, Brittany, one more. I'm thinking of a number between 1 and 10. What's my number? What do you think I'm thinking of? Tell me what am I, what am I Eight. thinking of. <gasps> that's correct. Okay, Brittany, I'm thinking of a new number, 1 through 10. What am I thinking of? Two. Oh, my God, that's right. Okay, I'm thinking of a new number, 1 through 10. What am I thinking of? Ten. <gasps> I don't know how you do that, but it's absolutely incredible. And I'm a little bit freaked out. So, okay. Thank you, everyone, for listening. This podcast episode is over. <laughs> I am running away from Brittany. Uh, apparently, <laughs> she has some kind of telepathy, and she is inside of my head right now <laughs> listening to all my thoughts. Hey, why are you thinking about that? <laughs> oh, my God. I am the girl. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Goodbye. <laughs> No, we're just kidding. We're just kidding. See you I'll keep time. my telepathy under wraps. Oh, thank Don't God. tell everyone. Okay. Let me put aluminum foil on your head. <laughs> or actually well, on my head. On your head. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Oh, so I feel like I forgot because I was so shocked and impressed and weirded out, to be <laughs> honest, about your about your very odd and shocking and suddenly new <laughs> telepathy skills that I think I forgot to say that. The age range for people who had all non-black was 17 years old to 42 years old. Whoa. It's a pretty wide age range, right? 17 is quite young, and then 42 years old is comparatively much older. Now, the people who had black only were the age range of 20 to 52 years old. Remember that these age ranges are for this specific study of 137 people. So we don't want you to think that these are the only ages you can have these colors of endo. And just like Amy said, you can have multiple colors of endo lesions, not just one color only. Yeah, multicolor, like a rainbow. Beautiful, vibrant. Except not. So this study doesn't mean that only people from age 17 to 26 have only clear endo, just that those are the age ranges of the people with only clear endo among this group of 137 patients studied. We got it, Brittany. That was for this, but it could be different in real-life applications. I just want to make sure yeah, we got geez. it. Okay. Did you got it? No, until you said it, I didn't, but okay, whatever. Okay, see? Fine. All right. All right, moving on. So we wanted to point out those age ranges because you can see that in the study, having only clear endo was found in people who were much younger than the people who had only black endo. 
But again, anyone can have any color at any time. So just listening to that, it's just kind of to show that, first of all, studies have shown that between 15% and 40% of patients with endometriosis have endometriosis that isn't black. So if the gynecologist is only looking for endometriosis that is black in appearance and color, they're going to miss a huge range of endometriosis because we are seeing here that endometriosis can be a variety. Oh, it's like a grab bag. You have a variety of prizes inside. Just reach your arm in and whatever you get. Woo! Surprise, prize. Endometriosis. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows which color you're going to get. And I also think it was interesting just like listening to us talk about the colors. And of course, the chart showed more. So we just talked about the colors that like when it was only one color. So when it was only clear or only red or only black or non-black to show the comparison. But if you go to endopedia.info, it shows like clear plus other colors and red plus other colors. So it's pretty interesting. And you can see like the age range and the average age and how many patients had each of the different colors. So again, it doesn't mean that your endometriosis is going to change in appearance over time, but it is a possibility. And I certainly think that mine did. I don't have pictures from the first surgery. Oh, shucks. Because if I did, I probably could have showed the pictures to an endometriosis specialist and gotten a second opinion. And then they would have been like, ooh, ooh, you see that clear looking dewdrop. You see that shine. That's that ain't a- squeaky clean. <laughs> that endo. <laughs> That is one clear lesion of endometriosis. Oh, my goodness. That would have saved you a lot of time and pain. So here's a not-so-fun fact from endopedia.info. An appalling fact. Yeah, a not-very-fun fun fact. A horrifying fact. Two-thirds. A disgusting fact. Okay, do you have more adjectives for me? <laughs> no, you're out. But I know you're thinking of the number three right now. <laughs> nope. Oh, shucks. All right. <laughs> Thinking of the number two, as in two-thirds. Okay. Well, so three was close. I mean, I'm going to give you that. Half telepathy. All right. Okay. Well, you can still go buy our lottery tickets later. <laughs> okay. So our not-so-fun, horrifying, disgusting, terrifying, as Amy said, fun fact. Appalling. Yes. Is that two-thirds of people. Outrageous. Two-thirds of people. People or chameleons? Two-thirds <laughs> of people. Who have chameleons inside of them. <laughs> okay, Amy, bring it. Get it together. Come on. <laughs> okay. Two-thirds of people have a visual appearance of endometriosis, so colors of endometriosis, that many gynecologists haven't been trained to recognize. Appalling. Disturbing. Outrageous. Disgusting. Terrifying. Horrifying. Infuriating. You have a lot of uh, adjectives. <laughs> wow. And to make that not-so-fun, horrifying, terrifying, disgusting, disturbing, enthralling, appalling fact more appalling is that up to 40% of patients with endometriosis only have the presentation and visual appearance of endo that many gynecologists haven't been trained to recognize. That's a lot of people. I think we need to send these doctors to veterinarian school. Why? To learn more about the colors of the chameleon, Brittany. (laughs) Oh, I get it. I think that this disgusting, appalling, outrageous fact once more highlights the importance of going to see a doctor that is skilled and experienced 
in endometriosis and that has had ample skill and experience in recognizing the different forms of endometriosis and preferably removing them by excision, which statistically gives the best outcome for improvement of symptoms and also the rate of recurrence. Brittany, there's something something I want to ponder. Okay. Let's ponder for a minute. I love pondering with you. Let's ponder the fact that we just talked about how many gynecologists cannot recognize all the different appearances of endometriosis, which may lead to a lack of diagnosis in endometriosis when the patient actually has endometriosis, which, might I remind, many times in this episode happened to me at 19 years old, which is why it's so close to my heart. And I'm sure it's actually happened to many people listening to this podcast. In fact, on Instagram, someone wrote that that happened to her twice. Isn't that terrible? That's awful. Two exploratory laparoscopies in four years. Neither one of them, quote unquote, showed endometriosis. And then she found an excision specialist. And yes, she had endometriosis all over her peritoneum and her intestines. And it's just so... Shout out for having so much perseverance, honestly, because it takes a lot to go back and back and over and over and over again when you've been told multiple times. So good for you. So back to the pondering. Hmm. So I just want to ponder for a minute about atypical endometriosis. You ponder away. Ponder, ponder. To aid in my pondering, or would it be my ponderance, or would it be my ponder, 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 ponder? <laughs> You're pondering ponderances? <laughs> uh, so we have a study. <laughs> I don't know why that made me laugh. About lapar, lapar, wait, we have a study about lapar ponderance. No, about lapar ponderance. <laughs> that can't be right. <laughs> okay, pull it together. We have a study called laparoscopic excision of lesions suggestive of endometriosis or otherwise atypical in appearance. Relationship between visual findings and final histologic diagnosis. Who? <laughs> that is quite the title. Yeah. And it is by Dr. Albie Jr. and Dr. Sinervo and Dr. Fisher from 2008. So Dr. Albie and Dr. Sinervo are actually from the Center for Endometriosis Care, who we love. And we know them, and we know that they are excellent surgeons. We know that they are extremely skilled both at excision and at spotting that chameleon endometriosis. So why do we say that? Because as we know, surgeon skills matter when it comes to excising endometriosis, when it comes to recognizing endometriosis, recognizing what should be excised, and then actually excising it. So we just wanted to point that out, that these surgeons are very, very highly skilled. In this study, the surgeons excised all area of viscera and peritoneum that either had typical appearance, suggestive of endometriosis, or atypical appearance. And then these tissues were looked at histologically, meaning under a microscope. And one of the findings was that 24.3% of the atypical appearing tissue that wasn't thought to be endometriosis actually was. Dun, dun. That is a large percent. 24.3%, practically 25%. So the surgeons, they took out what they thought was endometriosis, right? What had typical appearance. So they're like, oh, I'm pretty sure this is endometriosis. They yanked it out. Just kidding. They didn't yank it. They excised it. They cut around it and they cut it out. And then they also cut out any tissue that looked atypical in appearance. So they're like, "Mm, 
this doesn't look suggestive of endo, but it doesn't look normal. So they went ahead and they just chop, 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 excise that out. And then practically 25% of the atypical looking tissue that wasn't thought to be endo actually was endo. What this suggests is, to quote directly from the article, quote, this data suggests that when the surgical objective is complete eradication of endometriosis, the surgeon must be prepared to excise all lesions suggestive of endometriosis and tissue atypical in appearance as in most anatomical sites, approximately 25% of atypical specimens proved to be endometriosis, end quote. So if it's atypical, check it out. Chop, 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 excise, 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 hack. No, don't hack. Or hack. Hack it out. So what exactly would we consider to be normal peritoneum? Normal is relative, right? Well, Dr. Redwine actually describes some criteria of, of what would be normal peritoneum. So he said that normal peritoneum has no bumps or specular reflection, no vessels hidden by opacities, no discoloration, no retroperitoneal cystic structures, and no abnormal vascular patterns. Oh, wow. All right, so a lot of criteria there for what's considered normal peritoneum. Well, it just keeps coming back to the same point over and over again. A skilled, experienced surgeon with a well-trained eye is light years ahead of a less skilled and experienced surgeon. Light years. Excision surgery is operator-dependent. Operator-dependent. <laughs> yes, thank you for my echo. <laughs> so we're going to talk about this in the next episode, but it's not about the song. It's about the singer. The singer. <laughs> yes, it's about Amy, but also <laughs> about the surgeon, the operator. The skill of the person who does the surgery is crucial. It is essential because missed disease means persistent disease, which means an incomplete surgery, which likely means persistent pain, inflammation, and symptoms post non-complete excision. No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> so we thought this was really interesting to quote again from Dr. Dan Martin's research about from the paper Laparoscopic Appearance of Endometriosis. He says that in the 1980s, quote, a study of 55 physicians showed that endometriosis was not documented in 14 to 59% of all cases. Endometriosis was most commonly missed when it was obscured by adhesions, deep fibrosis, myomata, which is a benign tumor of the muscle, functional cysts, carbon and somoma bodies, which is a collection of calcium, end quote. So that study was from the 1980s, but I bet you that this information, like the idea that doctors are missing endometriosis that is obscured by adhesions or, you know, obscured by deep fibrosis or even like endometriosis lesions can be within peritoneal pockets. And peritoneal pockets, well, they're also called Allen Masters windows. And apparently I have one. I saw it on oh, my, lucky you. I did, and it really does look like a little window. Aww. Oh, I saw it in my, one, on my post-op report, and two, in the pictures. And what they are, they're defects. Oh, of course they are. They're defects in the peritoneum 
which can have endometriosis inside of them. And, you know, some inexperienced doctors, they don't know to look inside of these windows that we have in our peritoneum. Of course the chameleon can hide in the peritoneal pocket. Now we've heard it all. Now we know it all. (laughs) The chameleon's hiding. If even we know to turn the peritoneal pocket inside out to excise the endo, then the surgeon should too. (laughs) Okay? But the point is that there's so many surgeons that they don't know this criteria for normal peritoneum. They don't know that endo can be, you know, hiding behind all these different... There's so many surgeons that just don't know how to find all the endometriosis. It's kind of like the chameleon is playing a really elaborate game of hide and seek. It's like you have a skilled Where's Waldo player and somebody who just opened a Where's Waldo book for the first time. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, it's like Endo is playing hide-and-seek, and the skilled hide-and-seek looker knows to look in all these spots. And the other one is just like, um, let me look around. Blink, blink. Oh, I don't see. It's chameleon. like a person who's good at finding things because, you know, they look with their hands and they lift things up and <laughs> oh, they move things wait. out of the way. It's like when my boyfriend's like, yeah. oh, my God, have you seen my keys? It's I like he's looking with his eyes anywhere. closed. Yeah. And then you're just like. They're right there. They're on, on the, the table. table. They're, they're like literally. Right there. They're like right. All you had to do was move the envelope. They're like they're right like, there. There they are. Like right there. Like you know how they're always going on the table, but there's that's, a little bit of mail on the table. Are. Like if you had lifted the mail, that's kind of like what these regular yeah. gynecologists are. It's like all the endos on the table. Yep. But you didn't think to pick <laughs> move up anything. The kitchen dish rag to look underneath. You didn't look in the window. You didn't look <laughs> in the. Organ. Everyone knows to look in the window. <laughs> Okay, chameleons love the window. Okay, cats love the window. Chameleons love the window. Okay, Brittany, so we talked about all the different colors. Now there's one color that I have left. What is it? Invisible. (laughs) Who told you invisible was a color? Who told you clear was a color? Okay, fair. Okay. You, You got me there. Okay, perfect. So the question is, can endometriosis be invisible? And I think invisible is oftentimes interchanged with microscopic. So can endometriosis be so small that to the naked eye, to the eyeball, or the person who wears glasses like me and Brittany? Oh, no. oh. But to the person who does not have a microscope strapped to their face. And who does? I mean, let's I mean, be What are you doing <laughs> if mean, you do? That would be really heavy. So, but Ouch. Can any endometriosis not be seen by the naked eye? Can it be invisible? The short answer is yes and no. It's complicated and there is heavy debate about this. But we'll just go ahead and say that Endo is not Houdini. Not an invisible escape artist who cannot be seen with the naked eye. Who wears a cape? I mean, he didn't, but in this version, sure. (laughs) (laughs) If Houdini wore a cape, it would probably hinder his ability to escape. Very true. But endometriosis doesn't want to escape. (laughs) No, it it doesn't want to leave. It wants to burrow its way, invade its way into the tissue, and, and live there forever. Well, if it's got a warm, comfy, and safe home, why would it want to leave? So you might be listening and thinking, hmm, yes, I understand that endometriosis doesn't wear a cape and is not Houdini. However, what you're saying directly contradicts what my surgeon told me is that I probably have microscopic endometriosis. Or maybe your surgeon said invisible endometriosis. Ooh, I really like invisible over microscopic. Because invisible sounds like it's absolutely invisible. Sounds like it's there lurking. Microscopic just sounds so clinical and sciencey. 
Microscopic sounds so small, but invisible sounds like you'll never see it. (laughs) Not even with a microscope, because no one will see it. But maybe your surgeon told you that you might have microscopic or invisible endometriosis. And that is why after having surgery, you're still in pain because of all that microscopic endometriosis inside of you. So there's some discussion around the idea of microscopic or invisible endo. But here's the thing. Endometriosis on the peritoneum, which is the thin skin lining the abdominal cavity, can almost always be seen if, the caveat, if the surgeon knows how to identify it. Ooh, so wait a minute. I think we're getting a theme in this podcast. What is it, Amy? What do you think the theme is? The skill and the expertise of the surgeon matters in being able to identify endometriosis. So much. Is that the theme? It matters so much. Oh, God. This is kind of like the Where's Waldo of endometriosis, where when you're looking at a Where's Waldo page, Waldo has to be somewhere on the page. But if you've never seen Waldo and you don't know what he looks like and you don't know how to look for him, no matter how hard you look, you're never going to find him. If you don't know what Where's Waldo is, Google that. (laughs) It'll help make the analogy make sense. With the naked eye, we can see a hair. I know because my boyfriend is constantly talking about the hairs of mine that he can see on the floor. I wish we couldn't (laughs) see hairs. (laughs) All of our hairs, all of our shed. So a hair is 100 microns in diameter. And in surgery, typically the surgeons use scopes that magnify. In surgery with four times magnification, surgeons can usually see something that is 25 microns across. You know, that is the diameter of a human hair sliced in four. Wow, that's teensy-tiny. Yeah, super tiny. There was actually a study in Belgium that was done on microscopic endometriosis. And what it showed was that it looked at the size of this undetected, quote-unquote, microscopic endometriosis. So the endometriosis wasn't seen and the peritoneum was deemed visually normal. So then when they actually looked at the quote-unquote microscopic endometriosis, they found that it was anywhere from 88 to 720 microns across, with the average diameter being 313 microns. So we just said that the diameter of a human hair is 100 microns. So the average quote-unquote microscopic endometriosis that was found in this study was the diameter of three human hairs. And we just established that we can see three human hairs. My boyfriend can definitely see three human hairs. Okay, wait, I'm a little confused. I have a lot of questions. So you said the largest was in the 700 microns range, which is like seven human hairs. When I get out of the shower and I've got seven human hairs on the wall, I can most definitely see them all. But if the average was only a, seven human hairs on the wall, when I come out, I have like okay seven in each area. You oh, know, okay. like there's you know mm. that grouping of seven to thirty hairs. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like a lot when you loop your hair back on itself because it's so long. We both have very long hair. Okay, so but the average was three hundred and thirteen microns, which is three human hairs, which is very visible. So I don't understand why that's qualified as microscopic or why that would be called microscopic. Well, it was quote-unquote microscopic because it wasn't seen by these surgeons. To them, the peritoneum was normal and the endo was found under the microscope. However, various expert surgeons agree that when the peritoneum is looked at up close, 
So for example, with near-contact laparoscopy, where the surgeon gets that magnification of their scope very close to the tissue, and then they also use very strict criteria for what is considered the normal peritoneum. And that's what Brittany talked about with Dr. Redwine and you know his criteria for normal peritoneum. Many expert surgeons agree that when you know you have this up close, near contact laparoscopy, and when you have the strict criteria to judge what is normal peritoneum, then the incidence of microscopic endo falls to nearly 0%. In this hypothetical, I can fly. So if I'm flying on my ceiling looking for the hair on my floor, I probably won't be able to see it. But if I zoom all the way down and I have my cheek pressed to the floor, I'm definitely going to be able to see that hair. So that's really promising because in the hands of an experienced surgeon, the chance of having quote-unquote microscopic endometriosis that wasn't removed is much lower than in the hands of a less experienced surgeon. Now, true microscopic endo has been found. Dr. Horace Roman in France, in his studies of endo on the bowel, found hidden seeding of endometriosis in the wall of the colon around obvious nodules of endometriosis. And we also know that there can be hidden seeding of endometriosis in lymph nodes adjacent to obvious bowel nodules and hidden seeding in the interior of the ovary. So what is the conclusion of this? There is microscopic endo, but it hasn't been found to be everywhere or to be super common. Microscopic endo also doesn't mean that it will be symptomatic or grow into some huge nodule. So if your surgeon blames your post-excision pain on microscopic endometriosis or has an attitude like, well, we got what we could, but you know, that microscopic endo is probably what's causing your problems still. Yeah, blame the microscopic endo. Yeah, we can't see it, but it's causing all the problems. And then we don't have to take responsibility for our subpar surgical skills. (laughs) Exactly. So that kind of thinking, logic, and line suggests that the surgeon may not be as knowledgeable about endo as they think, or as you may have thought, and you may need a second opinion. So once more, like all things that we learn about with endometriosis, it's complicated, complex, and makes no sense at first glance. The doctor's skill and expertise (laughs) is really, really important in determining the quality of the treatment that we're going to receive. Mm. And it is really unfortunate that there are so few excision surgeons and that there are so few doctors who are truly qualified to be able to expertly remove endometriosis at the root and remove all of the endometriosis. While it's a shame that there's so few, that doesn't negate the fact that an experienced surgeon versus an inexperienced surgeon will make a huge difference in the quality of your treatment. So should a surgeon tell you that you probably have pain because you probably have microscopic endometriosis. You may want to consider getting a second opinion. You may wonder if that surgeon had the experience level necessary to identify all of the endometriosis inside of you. Maybe to that surgeon, the endometriosis was invisible. So they didn't remove it because they didn't see it. But that doesn't mean that another surgeon with more experience won't be able to actually see the quote unquote invisible endometriosis and remove it from you. While one surgeon couldn't find Waldo, maybe another more experienced surgeon can. 
Yeah. So maybe so if true. I'm looking, it'll be invisible to me. Yes. But if like Dr. David Redwine, the renowned excision surgeon, is looking at the same thing, he'd probably pick out like a hundred Waldos and I'd yes. just be like, I don't see anything. Where is, is Waldo? Is this an abstract painting? <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly. He'd a very be like, good way no, there's Waldo swimming. There's Waldo on the raft. There's Waldo drinking a cocktail. There's Waldo <laughs> Waldo climbing a rock. <laughs> like, mm, I don't see. Is this like? I'll just uh, have to trust you, doctor. <laughs> that's why this is your expertise and I'm, not mine. Did, did a five-year-old color this? I mostly see like a splash of crayons with. <laughs> <laughs> there's some dewdrops in the corner. I'm a little confused. <laughs> What we really are seeing is a pattern that many gynecologists are just not skilled in recognizing the appearance of endometriosis. And this might be on your ultrasound or on your MRI. This might be when they actually do an exploratory laparoscopy and they can't recognize all the colors. This might be when they actually go in to remove the endometriosis and they are not able to recognize all the endometriosis, leading them to believe that you might have the notorious, talked about, invisible endometriosis. I think something that's really sad for me is that doctors who aren't qualified to recognize and properly surgically remove endometriosis don't know that they're not qualified. Yeah, would to rather just them. do it and then gaslight you and kind of say, "Oh, well, that's just the disease," and I, you know, I know enough instead of saying, "I'm not properly qualified." If this is your only option right now, I will do the best I can, but I'm not going to be good enough or as good as an endometriosis specialist. They just act like they are and then try to make you feel like you're in the wrong for saying, I think there's more endo left or no, I really do think I have endometriosis. And that's really heartbreaking to me that the pride comes before the proper treatment of the patient. That's really heartbreaking to me that this is causing people to not get the treatment that we deserve. I honestly think that the majority of these doctors don't know that they don't know about endometriosis. We don't know what we don't know, right? Very true. Like, if I was looking at a Where's Waldo poster on the wall, and again, if you don't know Where's Waldo, like, Google it, but it's basically a poster where there's just, like, a huge chaos of all these things drawn on top of each other, and it's usually a scene, there's all these people, and it's maybe, like, I don't know, at the pool, and there's just like tons of people. And then you're supposed to pick out Waldo, who is in a red and white striped shirt and blue jeans and a red and white striped hat. So you're supposed to pick Waldo out of the crowd. And these pictures, these big posters, the details in these pictures of Where's Waldo are so minute that it's can be, it's really hard to pick out Waldo. Like you don't just instantly spot Waldo because there's just so many details and it's so intricate. But here's the thing. If someone handed you a book of Where's Waldo and it didn't come with instructions and they were like, here, here's the book of Where's Waldo. And you're like, oh, thanks. And you just look at the pictures and turn the pages and you're like, oh, my goodness, look at all these people at the pool and look at the level of detail. And oh, it's so intricate. And oh, look at that woman in a swimsuit and look at that other child who's swimming. And then look at that person on the diving board. And every time you turn the page, you're just like so enthralled by all the drawings and how they look. But you don't actually realize that the point of the book is that you're supposed to find a dude who's wearing blue jeans and a red and white striped shirt, right? So we don't know. That's my example of how we don't know what we don't know. So what I think is that many of these surgeons, they don't know that there's excision or they don't 
believe that excision is any better than ablation, or they don't realize how complicated endometriosis surgery can be, and that's why it's better to be done by an expert who does endometriosis surgery all day long and not a doctor who's delivering babies and doing pap smears and other important gynecological non-endometriosis-related things. I think that these doctors are taught very little in medical school about endometriosis. They're, like we said, I mean, the majority of clinicians don't know how to recognize endometriosis, and it's because they weren't taught all the different colors and subtle appearances of endometriosis. So if they weren't taught it, how would they know that they don't know that? And that's really sad. Well, that's why I think it's so important that we continue to educate ourselves Because while we're seeking treatment, if you're just starting your journey towards seeking treatment or you're midway through it, it's important to know this information and to know that it's not your gynecologist's fault that they aren't specialized in endometriosis. And while it's unfortunate that it feels like it's our responsibility to inform our doctors of that. Our burden, it feels like. Feels a little bit like it. It's also empowering to say, I know more about what's going on potentially in my body than this person might. So I know that if this doctor says to me, I want to do X, Y, and Z, and I know that based on research and information that I know is sound, that's not a great treatment plan for me. Education and knowledge provides us the ability to get a second opinion, to look further for a specialist, to know that there is more and what we're being told might be false. If we didn't learn that being told that you have microscopic endometriosis means more likely I couldn't see all of your endometriosis, then of course we would believe what the surgeon said to us. And then we might believe that we're doomed to be in pain forever. So the more we educate ourselves and the more knowledge we have in our back pocket when we go into our treatment options, hopefully we'll be able to have a better resolution and Be more aware of what our doctor is explaining, what our doctor might be saying, and know where to look for resources to find better information or a better opinion. Knowing the potential limitations of our standard gynecologists, which is, of course, with no ill intent, but knowing their potential limitations can help us to know how to look for more information, where to look for more information, and how important it really is to be treated by an expert who knows what they're looking for, who has the skill level to do a good job with surgery, and who can support us in a way that a standard gynecologist most likely cannot. Well, I think that really highlights why these endophiles... We're really good at that. We should make sound checks. (laughs) Sound bites. But I think that highlights why these endophiles are so important, and it's just so vital to learn this information. So reach out to us. Let us know if your doctor told you that you have microscopic endometriosis. Let us know if you know the colors of your endometriosis, maybe by referencing your post-op report or the post-op photos. Let us know if one of your exploratory laparoscopies came back negative for endometriosis, quote-unquote negative, and revealed only squeaky clean, glowing and shiny ovaries and uterus. Reach out to us. We are on Instagram at in16yearsofendo, and we are on the website in16years.com. Thanks for listening to the Endo Files. Ah! And we'll talk to you next time.